Mind and the Motorcycle Monologues, Volume 5, America, Where Are You, Mel Brooks? First thing I want to tell you before I get started into the story is I don't know how many of you have seen Princess Bride. I suspect a lot of you. Well, I want you to kind of take yourself back to that bedroom, which I think was in Chicago, and imagine this kind of elderly figure, that would be me, talking to his grandson. In this case, my grandson is a 34-year-old African-American from the projects of Chicago, maybe like 6'2", something like that, right? Close. All right, close enough. So that's going to kind of be, so that's kind of the visual, uh, which will make it, that's funny all by itself. And um, then we're going to get into the story and kind of follow the, the whole Princess uh, Bride, um, you know, the plot of, of Princess Bride. And uh, so I'm, I'm the grandpa, and I'm sitting down bedside, and I pick up this book, and I'm going to read a story to my grandson, who thinks it's kind of a, another dumb fairy tale from Grandpa Larry. I hope there's no kissing in there, Larry. Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, yes, there is. But wait a minute. Be patient. Okay. Well, tuck your mind in and listen. The story I'm about to tell you draws striking similarities to a country with nearly the same name. But this tale is too unbelievable to be true, something only Mel Brooks could have thought of. We should begin this story about 250 years ago, when a bunch of wig-wearing white men got together to create a country they called America, with a K. They had all run away from a cruel monarchy that didn't really give a shit about them, taxing them from across the sea to maintain their luxurious lifestyle at home. These Americans had enough, and they declared their independence, creating a series of well-intentioned documents along the way. If there was a key sentiment, it had to be that all men were created equal and entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the last being a boon for thousands of comedians to come. These guys were literal in their definition of men, which was far more limited than having a penis to qualify. I'm sorry, son. Many of these guys were slave owners, a challenge to the concept of equality. Those men with vaginas, again, my apologies, which we will call women, were totally excluded from this supposed high-minded democratic equation. What do you mean by men with vaginas? Like, that's kind of weird to me. Oh, well, Little Foster, that's a, I was afraid you were going to ask me about that. Listen, this is, it's kind of a make-believe story, and, and um, I'm trying to make it funny. And uh, believe me, the last thing I would ever want to have is any woman anywhere in the world uh, mad at me. So I'm just kind of using it for, you know, uh, for fun with um, absolutely, you know, no harm intended. Okay, so now we're going to get back to our story. And I want to get back to this mention of the wigs, which really kind of bothered me uh, in, you know, in this, in this fairy tale. It's a... The wig is a, it's a form of grooming that these guys brought with them from their homeland. One that made these kind of men, they sort of look alike, hiding their true selves. Being a barber back then was like being a journalist in this make-believe country today. 
This fictional country gave birth to itself along its eastern coast, the shortest distance for subsequent immigrants to seek their dreams in this new democracy, however imperfect its origins. The countries they emigrated from maintained their influence through violence, always fighting for their existence, and for some, their dominance over others, a legacy they brought with them, if you can believe that. America fought for its freedom and continued fighting its way across its new land. There were many, many people living there before the arrival of these white men, with their slaves and enslaved women. It's really curious how the idea of superiority has been a trait for all humans, regardless of skin color, going back thousands of years before the founding of this new make-believe land. A wave of white flooded the red-skinned aboriginal people who had mistakenly assumed this land was theirs, just because they were there first by several thousand years. Being truthful in matters of politics and business has never been an outstanding trait of humans since the beginning of time. True to form, these God-fearing white men took all of America for themselves, doing whatever they had to do to get it, and a powerful new country was born. In its first 100 years, America's persona was evolving in a state of kind of political puberty. Puberty, don't ask me about that one either. Since the beginning, their book of rules always had a double standard. Those same guys wearing the precursor of the toupee just didn't trust anyone outside their fraternity. The government was by certain people, for certain people, and they made sure of that. Coming from a monarchy, they held on to a bit of the royalty fetish. They had to have their version of the House of Lords to make sure the new House of Commons didn't become too powerful. Worst of all, the president couldn't possibly be directly elected by the people. So an inane college of mathematics was created to prevent anything too popular from actually happening. In a time of total schizophrenia, this country went to war with itself, if you can believe that. Supposedly, it was about slavery, and in the end, they were freed, and it took yet another 100 years of torturous treatment until they were actually free. Even these days, the relatives of those slaves are not free in the same way those white guys are free. Speaking of that lofty concept, it took around 150 years from the writing of those wonderful documents for women to actually have the right to vote, if you can believe that. I want to get back to the ladies in a minute or two. Larry, I mean, I just, I don't understand. They brought their traditions with them from another place to populate another place? I just don't get it. Please explain. Um, I, well, I wish I could. Um, in, you know, in a way, um, you know, we, uh, we take what's familiar with us when we go forward. So uh, most of these uh, folks, especially back in the beginning, um, were from England. And uh, it was a, a certain way of life. And they really came here... Um, I, not, they, they came here in the beginning not to get away um, from England in the sense of becoming independent. Um, 
they just came here out of a sense of adventure and, and so forth. And um, they ended up getting really pissed off about getting uh, heavily taxed by the English monarchy. So, like always, uh, it's about the money, honey. So that's, that's kind of it, but, you know, they were, they were British, um, you know, living, now living in this new land. And that's kind of, you know, why it, it went the way it did. Okay. So, um, tuck yourself back in. Uh, now we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about uh, what happened to this country with communications. Uh, in the early days of America, communications were very challenging. The printing press and telegraph ruled the world until the 1920s. But the invention of radio, the ability to hear sound coming from boxes, changed everything. And this country is still riding that wave of telecommunications magic in the new scenes. All of a sudden, people could find out what was happening as it was happening. While everybody was too thrilled with the invention to think about how it would affect their privacy, it would eventually come to haunt them. They knew more about everything and everybody. And believe me, it didn't take long for people to figure out how to take advantage of this phenomenon. The ability to sell people on products and ideas put the newspapers to shame. One of their presidents actually gave what he called fireside chats, calming the country in times of upheaval. The country suffered an awful depression, an economic meltdown, and a complete loss of hope for the future. The government put people to work building highways, national parks, an infrastructure that still stands. As America was getting its strength back, organizations called unions were created so regular working folks could have a voice and not be drowned out by generations of those white-wigged guys who kept the country in their wallets over the years. After radio came something called television, and that allowed people to see virtually anything. How you looked took on increasing importance, and one candidate for president actually lost because you could see perspiration on his upper lip during the debates. The other guy was incredibly handsome, and he ignited a generation of young people. In the mid-1990s, technology changed America forever. Envy became an integral part of the culture, and celebrity was an outcome of worshiping those who were living a life many wished for. Since the days of their motion pictures in the early 1900s, people became enamored and envious of the lives of so-called stars. In its inception, you actually had to do something to warrant attention. But these days, you simply have to know how to play the game. What you're telling me is that Envy or the like of such must have started somewhere between radio and TV. Because why else would people be feeling this type of way about stars and things of the such? Um, you know, I have a feeling that um, it was kind of always in, in, in our nature to, um, to somehow, for many of us, think that somebody had it better than me. Uh, because I'm not, I'm not happy, and um, it it just kind of uh, got exaggerated, 
um, with, uh, you know, all this media. And, um, and again, I, you know, I think of um, in this make-believe country, um, you get to see people who really, um, they don't really do anything. I mean, they don't, they're not like, uh, they don't paint, they don't sing, um, they're not PhDs. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, they're famous, they're making millions of dollars, um, they're all over this, this new kind of electronic media thing, and people somehow um, just are, the more unhappy you get with your own life, the more you try and look um, at, at other people's lives, you know, and, and feel envy. So uh, it's a, a tricky question, and... Uh, and 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 kind of there you have it. So um, let's get ready for for more of the story. Here we go. Finally, today, America has a president who is a product of that perversion. That's what I was talking about uh, before, Foster. This um, idea of fame and and you know for no reason. From the age of one, he began receiving around five million dollars a year in tax-free allowance. He lost money at every venture he attempted and played the system like a Stradivarius to milk it for every dollar he could have it give him. His attention span was perfect for the new media, which catapulted his stupid ideas from one to the next. He is merely a symptom, like a boil on your ass being a sign of infection. Now I could be terribly catty and reference his hair which would be far better covered by a white-powdered wig. But Mel Brooks would have plenty of fun with that, and he doesn't need my help. Years and years ago, this country would have debates between all sorts of candidates for public office. One of the great ones was between this tall, white-bearded, gaudy-looking, gawky-looking guy and an extraordinary black man who fought the, who fought the chains of, of slavery which I mentioned earlier. Over 150 years after that, two guys running for president debated on this new television. The one with the bad hair was completely unhinged, spewing lies, real incendiary bullshit. It was a very embarrassing time for America. This country had great promise in its beginning, and it looked like it was sinking into a swamp of anger and misguided ideas. I want to get back to the ladies for just a second, and it's really not far from where we are. Since the very beginning of this make-believe country, women were kind of a slave. They had been second-class citizens, mistreated and maligned by people just like the president, married a bunch of times and accused of misconduct by far too many. It's been a very sloppy process for these women to simply claim a place of equality and missteps were inevitable, but well worth it in order to level the playing field. Americans now are fighting with each other, and that is just what guys like the president and the ultra-wealthy seem to want. The people who love this guy are exactly the ones he is screwing, but he has mastered the power of celebrity. Those who oppose him have absolutely no balls, partially because so many of them are beholden to the same kind of money that launched this mythical country in the first place. The biggest surprise is the appearance of a plague that apparently began when a guy in a place called Wuhan, China, 
ate a bat, and belched right there in the marketplace. Within months, this plague traveled all around the world and found a very welcoming home in America. Stop laughing, young Foster. <laughs> the make-believe president, a very spoiled man, accustomed to lying and always getting his way, thumbed his nose at this illness. And wouldn't you know it, he got sick. Because this story can't go on forever, right now, we don't know what happens to him. This plague has certainly upset America, and no one knows exactly what to do. Maybe we will save this particular question for the sequel. So, Granddaddy Larry, what you're telling me is that now we have a bullshit president built on bullshit ideas that are basically backed by bullshit values that are messing up the country. How should I feel about that? Well, uh, here's the good news. Remember, this is about America. It's a make-believe country. And believe me, that kind of stuff could really never happen in our own country. All right? So you can rest easy about that. This is just a fairy tale. And we're just about done. And I just want to read the very end of the story. And then we're going to say goodnight to everybody. America looks like America looks like it is out of control. Nobody knows who to believe. The country seems to be slipping backward instead of, and instead of lauding intelligence, it prizes stupidity. Everyone is angry with someone and hopelessness is epidemic. Mel Brooks needs to write an ending to this crazy story of America's history, which will force smiles from the frowns as the credits start to roll. At least the good news is that this is not about a, a real country and just a product of Mel Brooks' fabulous imagination. Here in this real country, we are better than those folks, and that should be a comfort. Thank you for listening to this ridiculous story. My own written stories are available at mindandthemotorcycle.com. Until next week, same time, same station.